0: the Brink of Impact, created by Chelsea Lowe, Maggie Stoller, and Rachel Whaley to energize young people to build careers and social impact. This week, in Episode 2, we interview Anam Kadir from BridgeFan, chat about what to wear to work, and share our favorite resources with you. Every episode, we chat with someone starting their career in the social sector and share resources to help boost your career. Check out our website at brinkofimpact.com. Tell us what you think of this episode on Twitter, at Breakup Impact, and join our email newsletter to get links to all the resources we share.
1: On today's discussion segment, we are going to talk about dressing in the workplace, specifically for women. As three millennial women, we come from work environments that are very different and have very different dress codes and expectations of what we wear to work every day. So this is Inspired. There was a course article back in June uh, called Why It's So Hard for Women to Figure Out What to Wear to Work in 2017. And I found it really compelling. So to give a little bit of background about the article, it was basically talking about the history of women in the workplace and what we're supposed to wear. So women work attire has never been easy. I think there's always uh, some standards of, you know, being feminine but not too feminine, not too bright, not too tight, not too sexy, not too masculine. It's been a really, really hard line um, to toe, and I think what the article explains is that in 2017, this is made more difficult by the fact that workplaces don't really have a dominant office dress code nowadays. Um, you'll hear more about Rachel and Chelsea's experiences, but each workplace really has adopted its own unique uh, culture and dress code according to the industry that they work in. Um, so, because of this recent evolution about perhaps the more laid-back nature of dress codes in workplaces. Paired with, uh, the article also goes on to talk about how uh, designers traditionally looked towards for work attire like the Ann Taylors, Banana Republic, and J. Cruz of the world have been struggling in their own right. So the article talks about how these places are being pulled in different directions, trying to put out casual wear and workwear. Um, They haven't really put out a compelling vision of what the modern woman's work wardrobe should really look like. Not to mention that the article also talks about how casual wear has been an exploding fashion industry um, that's really kind of eating work wear. I mean, personally, I uh, I don't even own a suit. I was kind of like looking at this article, and there's a, a really interesting chart that basically says it details the decline of people buying women's suits and the rise of women buying leggings. This is an odd comparison to make, especially when you're talking about workplace attire, but also in 2017, not that odd to make because I feel like we are moving towards such a casual and laid-back uh, dress code across uh, workplaces that um, this is just an industry that's in a really interesting place. And because of all these factors, I am so curious to hear both of your opinions about you know, what is your work experience like? What do you think, um, when you think about your own dress code, do you think of it like a uniform? Do you, do you have a lot of leeway or not leeway at all when it comes to distance for work? I'm really interested to learn more about both of you.
0: Yeah, I'm happy to share. I think I'm in kind of a unique situation in regards to what I can wear to work because my organization has a very strict dress code for our students. And as staff, one of the things that we're asked to do is to model the dress code every day for the students. And so, we actually have written out in very much detail exactly what you are and are not allowed to wear um, to work. And so, Uh, That's been really helpful uh, for me, and I can't say that I love it every day because it is definitely very business professional, definitely no jeans, um, definitely a lot of dress pants and uh, dress clothes. So that can be a little tricky at times, but I will say it is very clear what the expectations are, and I think that's made it um, a lot easier for me. Uh, I don't, I don't have to wonder about whether I can wear leggings to work because I definitely cannot, and so that's um, I think actually kind of a a blessing in disguise, um, given that 2017 is a is a confusing year to be shopping for clothes to wear to work. I think for me, uh, my job, we. All kinds of have different dress codes depending on if you're client facing or if you're more so internal. Um, and also like what your role is. I know we have one person who their job is to manage our urban farm. So like her dress code is very much like overalls are okay versus for my team, we're working with million dollar clients. So it's assumed that you're going to be in like more so the professional, um, attire. So I think it varies within our organization around your role, but also I've had like certain conversations with People And it seems to vary around gender and age, too. So I had a conversation with a male colleague who was, like, talking to me about, well, what do women wear? It's Like, what's the woman's version of a suit? And I was like, women have suits, too. Like, what do you mean? Like, women <laughs> can wear – and he just – and his mom was like, oh, like, he didn't even really know what women wore to wear to um, work. And then also, like, some of my colleagues who are older, we kind of had a conversation around pantyhose. And they're like, you don't wear pantyhose. And I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> um so it kind of varies in what people um expect uh I feel like as work attire based on gender and age too um because that was one thing I I never even thought of of pantyhose like I think of tights in the winter but not in the summertime um but yeah my work its trying to balance it but I I feel like I just lean on neutrals just wear black and navy and gray and you know it keeps it easier so it, it is more like a uniform for me
1: yeah, I feel like there are so many, uh, you know, traditional workplace attire things for women that I just don't really um, ever have to do. Like pantyhose is not something I ever have to do. Like I own blazers, but not a suit. And I do have like probably the kind of slacks that you're wearing to work, Rachel, but my workplace is uh probably at the very opposite end of the spectrum of Europe. I work at a co-working space and it is, Way back, I remember I started work and I had no idea what to wear the first day. So of course you dress professionally, and I felt like a fish out of water. Everyone else was wearing jeans or sneakers or um, you know hoodies, uh, which is I guess very like uh, very tech industry thing to do. But it, you know it's just an entirely different environment. But I think you're right, Chelsea. A lot of people. You know, I, I think it depends on the day of what people are really wearing. I know that sometimes when my boss or any of my co have meetings with clients that are more, you know, external facing, they have to leave the office for something, they will wear something nicer. But I remember I, you know, I walked in one day and my boss was wearing jeans and I was like, oh my gosh, I can wear jeans to the workplace. This changes everything. Um, but so because I've, you know, I've been an in impact engine for a year now, it's it's really changed the way that I shop. I used to really um, only, only like specifically go out of my way to find, you know, what I would refer to as like business clothes. And I made sure that I, you know, had those blazers, had those like um, business pants, had shirts that were, you know, work appropriate. And now I feel like because I don't have to dress up for work, I don't really have any standards that I have to uh, abide by, it's just totally changed the way I think about um shopping. And I think that that's honestly why, you know, places like Banana Republic and J. Crew are are really struggling because women, um, yeah, depending on on where you work, I think, you know, Rachel, a workplace like yours, you know, you Europe will probably always have that role because of the, you know, work that you're doing with, you know, demonstrating to um students this, you know, where how you should be dressing, what you should be doing, how to make a good impression. But I think for other workplaces, especially in, like, the nonprofit sector, the social sector, I just think that we're moving towards, like, a, a very lax attitude about dressing for work. And and the, the one last thing I'll say, too, Chelsea, is I agree that when I think about my work attire, I usually just try to think about staples and neutrals. So uh, we talked about a castle closet before on the podcast, but I really try to approach my clothes as a way to um mm-hmm. just be really minimalist and you know have really basic colors, um really neutral tones to wear and then Chelsea, I know uh your big thing is don't you like to compliment things with jewelry, like you have staples and then you have your jewelry.
0: Yeah, I'm big on necklaces. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was my picture like probably like five necklaces that like off the top of my head that I've seen you wear before. So anyway, <laughs> I think it's it's just that, you know I think that the, it's just a really interesting thing i I have had this conversation with so many of my girlfriends, like where do you shop to work clothes? what do you wear to work like um and, and we could talk about work shoes for like years. I still don't know what kind of shoe I should be wearing to work, like are fast appropriate? I don't even own like dress heels anymore like I don't know if people have opinions about that, but a whole yeah.
0: I feel like I'm anti-heels at work just because of the, like, I'm always moving around, and I feel like it's easier to do flats, but my boss is very much like a heels, everyday type of woman, so I think it's, yeah, it depends. Oh, it totally Um, depends, and it's really confusing. I think, like, for me, most of the women that I work with wear flats, and then I feel like when I'm trying to like extra step it up at work like if there's a meeting or an event or something that's kind of special happening and then I'll like break out my heels because I feel like that's still like like a level fancier and like within the realm of dress shoes flats are a little more casual so it's yeah it's a really weird and also I'm tall so when I wear heels I feel like I'm like extra tall so it's that's (laughs) kind of an interesting feeling at work too so it's yeah it's just like really interesting to figure out what to wear for shoes.
1: I was going to say, I feel like for you, Rachel, that must be a power move. You're already tall, and then to put on heels, that's like <laughs> super powerful. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, I have an important meeting, I have to wear heels anyway, but also I'm going to have added confidence because I'm so taller than everyone in these heels. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: um,
1: but anyway, so it's, it's a really uh, interesting kind of topic of conversation. If you have any uh, suggestions or thoughts, on workplace attire, we want
0: to hear them. My resource this week is Trello. Trello is an amazing website that I love and use every day at work. It's a free project management and productivity tool that you can use to really easily keep track of things that you need to do at work. You can organize it by priority and totally customize um, how it's set up to best meet your needs. I find it incredibly helpful. I keep all of my work to-do lists and projects in it, and it's totally free. So definitely recommend it for anyone who's looking to be a little bit more productive at work or just kind of organize um, your own life outside of work. So you can find it at Trello.com to sign up. So my resource this week is The Core. The Core is a digital lifestyle magazine that focuses on self-care and wellness for men and women of color. The magazine is a resourceful guide for all things related to emotional, mental, and spiritual growth. Their mission is to uplift you through inspirational stories and photos. This publication was curated for the everyday wellness enthusiast and those who are simply in love with all things related to better living. Find out more at TheCoreMed.com. So today I'm here with Anam Kadir. Anam is an associate consultant at FridgeBan in their Boston office. Bridgeband is a global nonprofit organization that collaborates with mission-driven leaders, organizations, and philanthropists. So, Anna thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Of course. So, can you, to start us off, can you tell us when you decided you wanted to go into social impact work and kind of what got you interested? Yeah. Um, so, I had... Going into college, I knew I wanted to study public policy and economics, and I think once I started taking those classes, um, very much found my public policy classes interesting me more um, than my econ classes. Uh, And public policy was great in getting a taste of econ while also thinking about social problems, while also thinking about stats and numbers, which I like to nerd out out on. Um, So it was a good combination. Um, for me, I think I wasn't quite sure where in the sector I really wanted to fit in, um, but well, ideally wanted to find my sweet spot where I felt like I was, you know, maximizing my potential and using the skills that I developed. Um, and so I started off working for our small local nonprofit organizations, um, and had you know really enjoyed experiences of getting to work on. Uh, topics I'm super passionate about, from civil rights to urban health to education. Uh, I think one thing that I found challenging, however, was uh, just working in smaller organizations. Sometimes you feel kind of stretched, um, and that when something, you know, comes up, it's all hands on deck, um, rather than getting to focus on kind of what you're there to – what you wanted to be working on. Um, and so after that, I had given um, – given a hand at government work as well, and kind of found the system, you know, again, another place to be working on um, really interesting topics that affect a you know huge scale of people, the government touches everyone, but then also found that some things just moved a little bit slower um, compared to the nonprofit world. But through those experiences, I was exposed to a social sector consulting firm, um, part of the non they work on education, um, both in the private and nonprofit world, and that was my first exposure into social sector consulting and getting to see, you know, if there was a place where you could work on issues that you were passionate about, but then also have that level of influence with decision makers where you know they're asking for your, your advice and they're thinking about these, you know, really big problems in their organizations or facing the field. Uh, that they're operating in and feeling like you could have um, kind of a large-scale impact through those decisions that they're trying to make. Um, so that was essentially my first, I guess, interest into the social sector, but then also more specifically into social sector consulting. That's amazing. It sounds like you've had a, gr- a great trajectory so far, and so this brought you to Bridgestand. And so can you tell us what your kind of day-to-day is like as a as a social sector consultant? yeah. Um, so it can take a lot of different forms. Um, but essentially, what we're trying to do is bring a lot of research and data to help organizations make informed decisions about their strategy. So at a high level, you know, if an organization has um, a program model that you know has a lot of evidence, how should they grow it? How should they scale it? Um, If an organization is thinking internally about, you know, how can they be more effective or more nimble at making decisions or implementing different types of decisions that they make, um, how can they do that? So we're asking um, pretty high-level strategic questions for organizations. And so to help those organizations make those decisions, we try to bring a lot more data and analysis to bear. So my role Um, Especially as an associate consultant, is you know analyzing data sets or doing a lot of desk research and understanding the landscape an organization might be operating in, or helping frame some thinking around. You know, okay, there are, you know, different ways you can scale your model. Here's kind of the five options, and here's kind of what each of them entail. Here's kind of like a, a structured way to, to think about this problem um, that can hopefully help you actually make a decision on it. So, as, uh, you know, even in my own day-to-day, I think about how hard some decisions are to, you know, even in the morning deciding what I'm going to wear. Um, you know, it's <laughs> helpful to help or organizations also think about even larger types of decisions like that, so... That's kind of in a nutshell um, what it's like to be a consultant in the space. Sounds really exciting. Sounds like every day is kind of a little – can be a little different. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And then, you know, there are times where you're engaging with clients one-on-one and having conversations and just, like, brainstorming things out of, like, oh, well, have we thought about this aspect of it? Or, you know, I learned, you know, this piece of information. How does that change our answer? Uh, so it's a very collaborative um, face in which you're trying to you know try to address some of the toughest uh, problems that organizations are facing these days which sounds totally fascinating um, yeah. and i know that uh, in addition to your work at BridgeFan, i know that you recently had an opportunity to do kind of an externship um, with them and would you be able to tell us a little bit about what that experience was like for you So, the work that we're doing at BridgeSpan, ultimately, we're giving recommendations and helping organizations make plans. Um, BridgeSpan allows folks to go on to externships, uh, essentially to work directly with an organization that's a little bit more on the ground in understanding their day-to-day and essentially helping bring some of the skill sets that we've learned at BridgeSpan directly into an organization. And so, my work was... With the Massachusetts Immigrant Refugee, Immigrant and Refugee Advocacy Coalition, excuse me, um, MIRA Coalition for short. And I got to help them think through their membership structure. So as an advocacy coalition, they, uh, represent about 130 member organizations across the state that work with immigrant and refugee populations. Um, and so they're at the forefront of advocating for different issues and budget line items that affect immigrant and refugee populations across the state. So I got to help them, you know, kind of bring my Bridgeband skill set of, you know, really understanding, you know, what is, what are their members saying, what is the feedback that they're getting, you know, how are other advocacy coalitions also structuring their membership programs um, and help them uh, use that data to inform how they want to move forward uh, with their own membership structure. Very cool and amazing work that you have been doing in both of those sort of places. And so I know that the, the immigrant and refugee work that you were doing was, uh, felt really important to you. I know you mentioned that. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how kind of your identity has helped kind of shape or inform your past so far. So, uh, as background, I am a Muslim second generation South Asian immigrant and the, the, groups that I, or the communities that I grew up in were predominantly Muslim and um, immigrant heavy, and growing up, you know, I saw, you know, families struggle to make ends meet. I saw families um, get pulled apart, whether it be by certain immigration policies or having a parent be deported or an entire family be deported. Um, I've seen just, struggle, you know, families struggle with, you know, trying to connect with family members and, and try to make their day-to-day work. Um, And so that's been something for me has felt um, particularly unique, especially in the spaces that I operate in now, whether it be, you know, having gone to college and been around people who, you know, have had very different experiences and exposures to, you know, other types of issues. Um, But especially in the space where I am now, where, um, you know, oftentimes there are limited perspectives of from folks that have, um, that come from the communities that we're trying to serve. Um, And so that felt really important to me of, uh, for me to, you know, give back to the things that I know or at least have some um, insights on. Not to say that I have all the answers that help shed light and try to contribute. Uh, in ways that I can connect the dots for folks who otherwise might not quite understand, you know, what does the day-to-day look like? What really are the right solutions um, for folks in in on the ground? And so that's been super important and meaningful for me, um, you know, given the political environment and, you know, even just the past couple decades as well as how um, immigration reform has happened across the country. Um, so yes, you're dead on in saying it's been a very personal issue as well and trying to get, help the, the communities that I care the most about. That is amazing, and also you know so relevant in, in today's political climate. So I'm I'm so glad that you've been able to to engage in that in that very important work, especially yeah. now. So outside of kind of your your day to day, your work with the Mirror Coalition and BridgeBan, Outside of that, you somehow find time, um, as you've mentioned, to mentor for two organizations that are very. Near to my heart, um, New Sector Alliance and Year Up, where I currently work. Um,
1: yeah.
0: And I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about what draws you to mentoring. This is a little bit more kind of my own personal goals. Uh, working in the social sector, um, that's really driven me. Is you know I've been fortunate enough and blessed enough to have certain opportunities that have led me to where I am, and I. Know people and grew up around people who didn't have those same opportunities and you know are you know, frankly struggling in a lot of different ways and so it's been very like important to me to to work on those issues to hopefully pro- help others um, have the same opportunities that I've had and so I feel like I've been, I'm I'm getting to do that work at Bridgespan in some capacity I'm getting to do it in my externship um, but one thing that's been missing for me is having that personal uh, one-on-one interaction. Um, so that's really what drew me to to mentor um, for year up and new sector. And so I got involved with that. and that's definitely been something that's been more fulfilling and has just also kept kept me really grounded in that, you know this you know if we're consulting with an organization that's doing something similar to new sector or year up, you know under keeping myself connected to what that work looks like on the ground has been super helpful and also just incredibly motivating that hey, yes, I, you know, help this organization figure out the strategic direction they're going in, but I also got, you know, help this person with their resume um, so that they can get their, you know, first full-time, you know, professional job as well. And so finding meaning in a lot of different ways, and I think that varies from person to person, but that has felt like a right balance for me. So great to hear that you're so passionate about social impact and you're finding so many ways to do all these amazing things in your limited time. Um, And so what are you, thinking about all these kind of things that you're doing now, what do you think the future holds for you, you know, short-term, long-term? Kind of where do you see yourself going in the social impact space? I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. But for me right now, I've really been enjoying my experience at Brisbane um, as far as just learning and developing a wide range of skills. So, for example, you know, I'm really getting to understand what analysis looks like, how to interpret that analysis, how to use that to inform decisions, how to structure problem solving, and, and pieces like that. First, um, in has also been a good place just to learn like a managing skill set, which um, I'm sure everyone has had, you know, a manager or a boss that they like, really liked, or they really didn't like. Um, and so, for me, learning kind of the skill set just to be effective at you know whatever career I go into moving forward. Um, It's something that's been really um, top of mind for me, Um, and so I feel like the consulting space is a good place to learn that. A lot of other organizations also are really good at that, Um, but being earlier on in my career, I feel like I really wanted to kind of have that, develop that toolkit of, you know, being a good employee and a good manager. Um, moving forward, I think I do at some point want to get a little bit closer to the impact, and I'm perhaps working directly at a nonprofit organization where I can bring this skill set of, you know, thinking high level about high level strategy and problem solving, um, but then hopefully also get to help implement and actually roll out different programs and solutions. Um, it's something that sounds super interesting to me, um, so we'll see. We'll see where the road takes me. But for now, uh, that's kind of what I have in mind. Well, if you're getting a great analytical skill set from your work at BridgeSpan and a good idea of all kinds of different uh, nonprofit and, and social impact organizations, I'm sure you'll be well-equipped to go uh, in almost any direction. Yeah, so yeah. I'll, be, I'll be really excited, really excited to see what you do next. That's, that's so exciting. Yeah. Um, And so since you kind of – you have this kind of great start to your career, even though you're kind of only a few years in, um, I wonder if you might have any advice for our listeners, maybe someone who's just entering the social sector, um, kind of starting their career. Something I've seen both at First Band and then other organizations where I've worked um, in the past has been just, like, sustainability um, because this is, is at the end of the day, really hard work and really – you know, big problems that we're trying to solve. Um, and so one of the things that I, the tools that I also shared um, was essentially a life values inventory. Um, and so one thing that's been helpful for me in just reflecting on my own experience and kind of what I want to get out of my career and out of my, you know, time outside of the office and things like that is um, really trying to identify what drives me um, and what makes me feel sustainable and motivated. Um, and trying to make sure that I, I can focus on those in whatever way I can. Um, so as I mentioned, for me, it's like having, you know, getting to really engage intellectually on the problem-solving, but then also having that direct connection one-on-one with folks who might be, you know, more directly impacted by some of these issues. And so I'm trying to, I'm trying to strike that right balance that keeps me really motivated, um, and then also making sure I'm making time for those things as well. Um, and so, I guess the piece of advice that I would say is, you know, really try to think. I think it's really valuable to take the time to reflect on what you value the most, um, and what will keep you sustainable, uh, and motivated, and driven for the work. Because it can get it can get really draining and heavy. Um, and as much as you can keep yourself grounded in the impact you're trying to have, um, hopefully that will take you further. I love that you brought up sustainability. That's so important. We are always talking on the podcast about self-care, about making sure that uh, you can kind of be on that fine line between being motivated and and being feeling really overwhelmed and and burned out. So. I think that's amazing. Uh, the Life Values Inventory is definitely a resource uh, that we will share out on our on our Twitter, so um, our listeners can check that out there um, and hopefully uh, absorb some of your your good advice about about kind of trying to stay balanced and and, and really grounded. So, thank you for yeah. that. Yeah, um, and it's it's just been so great to hear about your journey so far, kind of from your first steps into a small local nonprofit organization to your consulting role and your mentoring um, and and beyond. So um, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me
1: My resource this week is 50 Ways to get a job.com. I don't even know how I stumbled upon this resource but it is perhaps the most helpful tool for walking you through every step in your job search. So when you go to fifty ways to get a job. com, it basically pops up all of these really colorful squares about um, where to start, how to find your purpose, what to do if you're feeling overwhelmed, how to network, you know, reasons to un- get unstuck, where to apply for jobs. Uh, it is an amazing tool. So it was actually uh, put together over the course of three years by a, a work team across Canada and the U.S. Um, that was was born out of the book, Making Good, which was uh, basically a book about working in the social sector and how to transform your career to have a really positive social and environmental impact. So this is the perfect resource if you are either rethinking a career and how to get involved in the social sector, or you're just curious about how to, uh, make the most of effective that you're already interested in. So this is a really great tool. We'll share it on Twitter as well, but, uh, 50 ways to get a job.com. I promise this will be one of the most valuable job search tools you will ever find.
0: You've been listening to the brink of impact created by Chelsea Lowe, Maggie Stoller, and Rachel Whaley. Subscribe to The Brink of Impact on Apple Podcasts for new episodes every Monday. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Brink of Impact and sign up for our email newsletter, which includes links to all the great resources we share. Our music is Rise and Shine by Audio Binger. Thanks to our season two sponsor, Coalition Impact. Coalition is a brand of co-working spaces in New York, Boston, and Chicago. They are constantly looking for individuals and companies striving to make the world a better place to join their community. Check them out at coalitionimpact.com. Thanks for listening.